Welcome to part two of our interview with Terrell Gibbons. Um, Terrell, in, our, in, in part one, we had talked a little bit about your conversion to the church, and you had talked about um, our religion's intellectual appeal to you. Would, would you like to say a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, there's a problem with the word intellectual, right? It sounds a little pretentious and stuffy, and sometimes it can be very off-putting, so I wish there were a better word for it. I guess maybe, maybe I would talk about uh, its radical resonance. Uh, somebody else I've heard use that word. Mm. Um, but but the, the thing is is that is that is that the Latter Day Saint faith in it, it it has what I consider to be the most profoundly satisfying, um, intellectually rigorous uh, system of thought associated with it of any religious tradition I've studied. Um, I finished mm. a two volume history of Mormon thought. And, and I came away from that study more convinced than ever that it is almost impossible to fully appreciate the, 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 the majesty and the clarity and the logical consistency of Joseph Smith's restored system of thought. Yeah. Um, with all due deference to other faith traditions, I believe there is much beauty and goodness and virtue and value to be had in studying other faith traditions. But when you consider that that the Catholic Church has taken 2,000 years, for example, to come to the recognition that maybe babies who die unbaptized aren't damned. And that the evangelical world is finally, after hundreds and hundreds of years, talking about, well, maybe God can feel our pain and suffer with us. And um, other, other Christian denominations are, for the first time in centuries, starting to talk again about theosis. Maybe we are really being invited to become like God. Um, original sin is officially a doctrine of every creed of Christianity outside of Latter-day Saint faith, but none of them are talking about original sin and inherited depravity anymore because it right. so violates our innate sense of yeah. justice. Um, and and um, Joseph Smith was there right, almost two centuries ago. Uh, the comprehensiveness of the plan, um, the, the, the grounding in an eternal pre-existence of the human soul, which almost all people respond to intuitively yeah. as a truth, and yet it was anathematized in the sixth century. Uh, just wherever you turn, it seems to me that Latter-day Saint doctrines are the most intellectually appealing, rationally appealing, and intellectually defensible of all the tenets of, of Christianity. Um, I know that many millennials especially bridle at the, at the phrase, the only true, right. and, and living church. And, I think that can create an impression of uh, triumphalism and exceptionalism and, and, and pride. But on the other hand, if you consider that officially Latter-day Saints are members of the only church that officially preach an eternal preexistence of the soul, a heavenly father who is passable, who feels our pain, a heavenly mother who lives in, in union with a heavenly father, uh, a plan of salvation that envisions the eventual salvation of the entire human family without any barriers erected by death, um, the, the family as an eternal unit. So there is something fairly mm. unique yeah. about this, this conglomeration of doctrines taken together, let alone any one of them, which would stand as a sole exception to 19th century beliefs. Yeah. So, so with that expansive vision right, of, of all, these, the, all the things within our theology that, that appeal to you, um, what about the, the role and the, the place of doubt 
and, and for those who are experiencing doubt with, with various issues, um, doctrinally or otherwise? Well, doubt has become one of the most controversial of terms in modern Latter-day Saint discourse. Um, one can cite any number of authorities out of context as saying doubt is evil, and any number of authorities out of context as saying doubt is an essential part of discipleship. Right, and, right. and I can quote them on both sides. But I think one way of thinking about the difference is, are we talking about doubt with a capital D or a small d? If we mean doubt as a faith, as a life position, I'm going to adopt this position of skepticism and, and disbelief, then no, I don't think that's enjoined or healthy anywhere. But if we acknowledge the legitimacy of challenges to our understanding that may arise at any one moment, that's part of discipleship. Um, it seems to me that the, the Gospels are replete with examples of people like the Father, I, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Yeah. That seems to me pretty scriptural proof that both conditions can, can coexist in tension. Right. Um, the fact that the restoration began because Joseph doubted his own spiritual standing. He doubted the, 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 the validity of contemporary Christian traditions. Um, so it, it seems to me that we should embrace opportunities to revisit questions and, and, and beliefs and secure a deeper, more profound understanding from time to time. So I think, I think um, we, we, we should be prepared to live with a condition of, of what I would say is perpetual cognitive dissonance in some ways. I don't think that Mormonism pretends to settle all questions and all theological uh, matters. No. It, it doesn't. Uh, I, I was struck again this morning reading in the Book of Mormon where I, there's a prophecy in Second Nephi uh, that we interpret as referring to Joseph Smith and it says that he should come to, it, it should come to pass that he should bring about much restoration. And that's a key phrase. Yeah. It doesn't say all the restoration, it'll bring about much. And so this is an ongoing project that we have to be vested in personally as well as institutionally, it seems to me. Yeah. And, and so what would you say are some practical ways to help people that are, are struggling intellectually or, or, or struggling with their faith? I, I think if, if, we, if, if we take to heart the counsel of, I think it was Elder Eyring, right? Or a past Elder Eyring, I think it was uh, Eyring's father, who said, um, the Lord will never require us to believe anything that isn't true. Yeah. And so in that sense, I think we can take out the advice to just, just relax, not be frightened by, by challenges or questions, but also know that, that, that sometimes we will have to live with that cognitive dissonance. That in my own case, that's, that's, I've, I've accepted that. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really, I love, I love the reading that the Latter-day Saint tradition gives to Adam and Eve, right? It's radically unlike anything else. Not only because yeah. it's optimistic and positive, but also because we don't see their condition in the Garden of Eden as having to choose between good and evil, which is the, kind of the primal story. No, no, no. For Latter-day Saints, they have to choose between good and good, Yeah. right? Are we going to stay in the garden, be faithful, and, and live forever in this condition, or are we going to do that which is necessary to have a numerous posterity and eat the fruit of the tree. So the fact that they, from the, from the get-go, right, the human condition in which Adam and Eve find themselves is a condition of cognitive dissonance, would seem to be contrary imperatives. And so that seems to me a key yeah. that that's going to be the tenor of our lives, is that we will have to learn to, to wade through and wrestle with what seem to be competing demands. Yeah. 
uh, made of our intellect. And, and what can we do, do you think, to, to what would be the word, prepare ourselves or to, to strengthen ourselves to, to live that way? Because I know, I, I think people have um, certain tolerances for ambiguity, you know, yeah. that I've yeah. noticed that, you know, um, maybe people as English professors, right, in our field, um, have a, tend to have a high tolerance for it. Um, but it seems to be that there are others, just personality-wise, it's harder for them. So, so what's something or a few, some things that people can do? Um, is, is there something they can do practically to sort of help yeah. them with that cognitive yeah, dissonance? Yeah, I, I think so. It, it disturbed me for a long time as a student of Mormon history that, that Latter-day Saints don't have a history, uh, a legacy of the contemplative life, hmm. of the devotional life. Um, I always thought it was very sad that in an early version of the, of the Articles of Faith, Oliver Cowdery proposed as one of the Articles of Faith, we believe in the same holiness toward which people aspired in the primitive church. And Joseph replaced that with, we believe in the same authority. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's only occurred to me after years, really, of, of thinking about this, right, that, that our faith tradition leaves to us the freedom to chart our own devotional life. And I think that's the lesson that I came to late um, and that I, I would like to see more people recognize, Yeah, is that the church is a resource and it is a portal through which the ordinances, of, those who have received the ordinances of salvation can pass into the next phase. But that the actual life of discipleship is ours ours individually and personally. And so I, I hate the fact that we refer to reading the scriptures and saying your prayers as if those are these kind of empty, vacuous acts that we perform yeah. instead of thirsting and searching and hungering. And so I have tried in my own personal life to chart a very deliberate path of yeah. devotion that involves very personalized forms of worship and preparation and, and scripture study. And I try to make that the focus and the center of what it means for me to be a Latter-day Saint or a Christian disciple. And my relationship to the church is secondary to that relationship which has to be grounded in Christ. Yeah. And I think if we get once we get that out of order, then it's very easy to to disaffiliate from a church right. that is imperfect and disappoints us. Right. And so can I ask you a personal question? What, what is um, your, you, you talk about that reflective sort of personal um, path that, that you have and that you take. Could you describe in some way what, what your personal um, preparation is like? Well, sure. Um, uh, we're we are told that we should treasure up the words of eternal life. Well, what does that mean to treasure up? Um, I, I, was, I was very impressed many years ago, a talk given by George Steiner, one of the greatest contemporary literary scholars. And he told the story of a woman who had been kept a prisoner in the gulag for many years. And she kept her sanity because she knew so many poems by heart mm. that she occupied her time translating them into all the languages she knew. And then he posed this question. He said, with what temple furniture is your mind furnished? And I thought, what a great question. Yeah. 
right? How much, right, for how many years could I occupy myself in solitary confinement? And so I made it a, a project to try to daily memorize the scriptures. So when I read the scriptures, I'm reading, having in mind what, what scriptures have the power to inspire or transform me. And then I single those out. And part of my, I wish it were daily, but I aspire to make it daily, is, is to memorize those, commit those to heart so that they're part of the, of the temple furniture of, of my mind. Um, I think there are many beautiful hymns that are appropriate for private, indiv individualized worship. I think uh, for me it has proved useful to have what I call a, a prayer book or a revelation book, which is a blank book which I have ready to hand when I pray. And I do that not because I anticipate daily revelations, but because that's just, a, for me, it's a visible symbol mm, that says yeah. I'm serious enough about this that I want to be prepared to record whatever impressions I do receive if I do receive something. Um, I, so I guess those would be some examples yeah. of how I try to approach my daily devotion. Well, no, those are wonderful examples. I mean, they, they start with you and they start with your devotion to God. And, and one of the things we've noticed as we've done these podcasts is that so often uh, with people that have, have you know, been converted and have gone through things, it, it comes back to that relationship to God. Right. That, that is always at the heart of it. And the church facilitates it, but the church is not the relationship. Right. Right. It's right. something that helps it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never encountered anybody who left the church because they said, well, I just found my relationship to Jesus wasn't very satisfying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which, if, if that were the case and were legitimate, I'd say I'd go too. Right, right. Oh. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for talking to me.